0: The advertising space, it just always interested me. I saw and heard of all the great stories of the good old days and all these things from my parents all the time and just really thought that that kind of industry I had an appeal to and thought I could contribute in.
1: Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, Founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy. And welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. If you're enjoying the Managing Marketing podcast, please either like, review or share this episode to help spread the word and wisdom from our guests each week. Working in media and advertising is an interesting career choice. In my own case, it was something I wandered into after starting my working life in medical research. For others, it's a lifelong dream or ambition. But my guest today is someone who literally grew up in the media and advertising industry. Now, having grown up in a household of media and advertising, it's perhaps not surprising she's now working in that same industry. Please welcome to the Managing Marketing Podcast, the Head of Media at Audience Precision, Jessica Bray. Welcome, Jess. Thank
0: you for having me. It's good to be here.
1: Now, Head of Media... First of all, what does that actually mean? What is your role here at Audience Precision?
0: Yes, so I have been head of media for just over a year um, and that covers off local and international media strategy, planning and buying, so all all on the same team, Um, technology development and product management for the team and also senior leadership and management of both team and clients. So it's a big role, definitely.
1: Because audience precision, while most people would perhaps think of as media only, it Mm. is actually more like a full service agency because you do have services outside of media, don't you?
0: Yes, yes. And we have toyed with the name Strategy Consultancy before because we do offer quite a robust insights offering and data offering and we have proprietary technology that's a really key part of our business as well. And so we're able to offer this range of services to clients, uh, which is, yeah, really exciting. And fun.
1: Including content and creative, I believe.
0: We do offer, yeah, creative and content. We have partners that we work with to deliver that full service for clients.
1: Because that's becoming more and more interesting from my perspective, in that so many media channels need a close relationship between Mm. the media strategy, planning, and buying and the content that's actually flowing into that. The days of, you know, sort of being arms distance from each other has become more and more problematic hasn't it
0: yeah and we find that it doesn't matter if you're putting the advertising in the right space and you get the right audience that's a really key part but if you're not serving the right content that's actually going to deliver and engage them then you're not going to get that attention so that's why the insights that we craft are around making sure the creative is engaging and speaking to that audience so when we find the right place and we're buying that right environment it's also actually going to engage and connect with that audience.
1: There would also be an opportunity, I imagine, getting insights coming back Mm. from the content that you're running in the channels that you've selected, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. And you can toy with things and A-B test with, you know, copy and slight changes and just kind of mood of things that really, really inform uh, decisions. So it's, yeah, it's really exciting.
1: Well, and the other exciting thing is a lot of those insights. And perhaps not coming in real time, but Mm. very close to it, you know, you can on a daily basis see how things are performing.
0: Absolutely. And I'm sure that will progress with AI and all of the chat GPT and all those things coming along where everything will be able to change much, much quicker in the future as well.
1: Now, you've used the term insight. Yes. I I, I lost count at about three or four times. (laughs) But, you know, because it's interesting, you know, there's lots of conversations around data, data Mm. analytics, data science and people talk about insights, mm. but what do you have a, a sort of working definition that you use for insight?
0: Oh, that's a good question. And insight I would consider and we would consider here is something that's actionable. So there's a lot of interesting things you can know about people these days. There's data on everything, but what is Actually, useful. What is an actionable insight? So, an insight that we would consider valuable to use is what someone's actually doing on a social media platform. Because you know, a lot of people are just on social media, or we don't really care that they have Vegemite for breakfast. It's what are they doing about their day, um, and how can we we connect with that? So, yeah, it. I think the actionable element and that word before the word insight is the key.
1: So, it's a piece of knowledge Mm. about the audience Mm. that you could then action to. Get some sort of response. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Because I'm always fascinated by the fact that so much of the data, particularly that we get from media, mm. is about behavior. Like we know what people are doing, mm. but the part that seems to be missing often is why they're doing it.
0: Mm. Absolutely. The motivations, their values, their belief systems, what makes them tick. So one of the things that is the foundation of our segmentation model and the way that we approach our insights is that the demographics are not the, the important piece. It's the psychographics and what informs who they actually are and then why they will be making decisions and why they will then purchase from your brand or engage with your service.
1: Yeah cuz I, I was always uh fascinated when actual dad Hayden yeah. right? <laughs> um when he started talking to me about audience precision and it's probably 3 th- 4 years ago yeah
0: um
1: how it was so focused on how do you use data mm. to actually get into the audience's mindset yep. to help impact the, the media selection or the channel selection, yeah?
0: Yeah, and so we have built a lot of technology around that to make it faster because a lot of people struggle with the dense amount of data that we have uh, in this industry and there's only more and more as you start mm. making every media platform digital and, you know, you can buy out of home digitally now and things are progressing so you get so much more real-time data. And so that's where we've built a lot of technology around that. So... Different um, technology tools that can decipher all of the, the actionable insights. One of our first tools was uh, the media planning tool. And it's called Laser. And it was the start of our tech, Precise 360. And it's my little baby. It's my, um, the original uh, tool that we worked on. Uh, and essentially, it's capturing all of, of that information: going, where are they engaging? Is it social media? Is it TV? Is it radio? And then what's overlaid with all the industry data and everything that we need from surveys and all that good stuff so that we can be making decisions quicker. Um, So we're not bound by, okay, we need to make this media campaign plan, for example, but we're also digging in Excel sheets of data. We've built tech that's quite (laughs) gamified. It's, you know... Highlight pops up red. Yeah, it's it's quite um, user friendly and allows you to find the insight really quick, the actionable insight really quick, I should say.
1: (laughs) Trinity P three. It's interesting because people talk about big data Mm -hmm. or big data, right? And the thing that amazes me is it's not the huge amount of data; it's the volume that's coming all the time. Mm And so it's interesting the way you've specifically addressed that by trying to make it as accessible as possible. Yes. You know, because that's one of the issues. You know, you can have terabytes of data coming at you every day. But, you know, how do you get to the point of being able to pick out the cherries? Someone said to me it's like being thirsty and trying to get a drink from a fire hydrant.
0: Yes, that's great. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, I think... There's also so much data that the clients have all the time. And so you, we get to this point where it's just data overload. But what is the core of our uh, technology and, and the audience segmentation that we do is consumer research so that we can understand that psychographic. So we're part of the largest uh, research consumer study in the world and so we're able to get that really dense, rich information and our data and research and insights team are amazing and they process a lot of a lot of data and make it into the adjustable, uh, bite-sized information that the rest of the team can be using and and clients can be receiving. Now, that's
1: fascinating because one of the other things that I've seen in the past is clients that have gone heavily into research and they've ended up with segmentations that don't naturally translate back into media selection. Yes. You know, they'll create personas and you go, well, that's great. You've got a uh, early adopters, too cliche, but, yeah, yeah, you've got this persona that you've named. What do they? What does that actually mean if I'm planning media? Yes. How do you overcome that?
0: So that was definitely one of Hayden's biggest pains with the industry, um, and so that's what he was striving to fix is actually to have it flow through. And so the way that we do that is our segments and the technology that we've built all flow through together. So the segments that we're building with the research flow all the way through to my laser media planning tool where we're literally selecting what the segment is and all of the industry data is overlaid on top of that and, and ratings and rates. And so we're able to literally plan a TV campaign, a radio campaign and push it out and buy it. So we're still needing to trade on a demographic because that's what the industry still does, but it's really not the demographic that isn't forming anything it's yeah. about the actual information that is as upstream
1: well and and the tradition let's call it traditional media cuz you know yeah. it's not non-digital it's yes. all all mm. in digital domains now mm. are rapidly trying to get a better understanding of who their audience is absolutely so, um you know with BVOD and and the like mm. you know I, I, it drives me crazy every time i log in i have to you know do the whole process again so that they know exactly who I am. I'm just wondering whether they understand that I have twin six-year-olds, which (laughs) is why I'm logging in to watch a kiddie show, you know, uh, or or not, or they think I'm some sort of weird old man that's watching children's (laughs) TV. But, um, you know, it is an issue. It's still an issue. Mm, Definitely. So it would never quite completely align, would it?
0: It depends on the media format for sure. So when we're looking at, we've invested quite a lot into the consumer research study and, you know, it makes us quite different is that we as the agency have have purchased all the research and we do a lot of the studies that we own a lot of data exclusively globally because we've had that first right which is awesome um and that is in some cases down to the exact radio session and the tv right. program and so for that it is about data matching and then we are able to plan right down to yeah, that yeah, and then it actually gets more murky sometimes in the digital space where there's so many ways you can you can target audiences you can build them in their platforms and in each individual platform we can can go after just specific content we can go after programs like there's so many different ways so it's not actually as clear like there's not one solution um so there's definitely different ways you can do it but we have invested in the research that allows us to actually take it all the way through
1: listening to you jess it makes me realize that the name audience precision (laughs) was actually a very deliberate choice wasn't it
0: yes you're very really
1: deliberate. trying to make sure that all of your methodology and all your technology is yes. actually delivering on that ability to be very precise
0: Absolutely. In audience
1: selection.
0: Yes, you bang on, and our technology stack is called Precise Three Hundred and Sixty. So <laughs> it's all through, but it is—it is all about that eliminating the wastage. You know all those jargony buzzwords, but it is very much about making every dollar hit count. the audience yeah, yeah. and count. Yeah.
1: Trinity P Three. So let's just change direction. Yeah. So <laughs> let's go back in time. Mm-hmm. At what point were you sitting there perhaps at the family dinner table or something and you went, this seems quite interesting?
0: Quite early, I think. I mean, I can't pinpoint it down to an exact, you know, dinner or time, but... I was just always very exposed to it um, and I always was really, really interested in advertising. It was for me like growing up, I either wanted to be in marketing and advertising or be a lawyer. So they were quite polar wow, okay. Um and I did study a little bit of law to kind of throw it in there, but it was media law. Um, but I kind of, that was the two things, but I do think that the, the law was kind of more around um you know, watching Suits and really, really right. loving that holiday. And, whole and wanting to wear really yes, and being, clothes. You know, and yeah, loving it and I liked legal and all that kind of stuff. But the advertising space was really, it just always interested me. I saw and heard of all the great stories of the good old days and all these things from my parents all the time and just really thought that that kind of industry was a fun but also something that i naturally I hadn't appeal to and thought I could contribute in. Um, but I actually in year 10, because I was tossing up what I was going to do and I had work experience. And so I interned at Atomic 212 because it was one of dad's friends and he was like, here you go, go see if you like an agency. Um, and I worked there for a week and came out and was like, this is exactly what I want to do. Absolutely. So I think validating that quite early for me was really good because I went into, you know, HSE and, you know, all the things so clear on what I wanted to do and crystal that that was the right path for me.
1: So that that uh work experience yeah. really consolidated for you all of the things that you imagined yes. it would be like.
0: Yes, because I thought, you know, it sounds great, but, you know, what if it's not the same? And, you know, there's been some time since when um, my parents were talking about when they were, you know, in the agencies and in the roles that I would be going into. Um, So I expected it to be a little different, which it is, uh, so I hear of all these fun things that were going on. Um, Different sort of fun. Different sort of fun, yes. Well, champagne and oysters still still around. Um, But, yeah, I think it was definitely a validating, like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely sure now. Whereas... I was maybe eighty percent sure before then. So yeah, it's always been part of uh, what I what I thought I would end up doing.
1: It's an interesting insight. Mm. It's <laughs> whether this is actionable or not, that the role of work experience mm. is so important for the industry to really get people mm. young people interested in considering this as a career because yeah a lot of the industry focus is at graduates, you know, they've already done some sort of degree. Mm. But perhaps if we took a more structured approach and invested some time and effort, because I know work experience people that have come back and gone, well they got I made some coffees and I sat in the corner and you know, it's never real or often I won't say never. It's often not given the sort of importance that it should have.
0: Yeah, and I totally agree because I think it can be hard on some businesses if they aren't structured in the right way to support that because it is normally only like a week or two weeks. Yeah. So it can be hard, you know, I know know the feeling when you're really overworked at a certain week and you're like, okay, I just don't have time for this. Um, but I do think I think it's really important to, especially with our industry and in the way that it's going with a lot of people leaving and us needing more youth coming through, absolutely.
1: And also attracting the yeah. talent. You yes. Know, because... You know, waiting until they've finished a university degree is too way late. too long because mm-hmm. by then they've already sort of gotten in mind which way they're going. Absolutely, so, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, so that internship was definitely, you know, if you can call it an internship, it was a week. It was a work experience no, work internship. Experience. I think that yeah. it's,
1: it's it's important distinction. Yes. Work experience is a week. Mm. The thing that drives me crazy is the the three-month internship. Yes. Which was often largely unpaid. Yes, and they were made to work. Yes. a one week of um, work experience...
0: Learning. You're just you're, learning. you just learning. You know? Yeah.
1: And, and it's structured to, you know, in, in the best cases, the agency structures it so that you get, you know, whether it's three hours, half a day here, here mm-hmm. and here to really get an appreciation of the whole of the process.
0: Absolutely. I went around a few different divisions. I even went out to a media event like conference and I just thought it was the best ever. And,
1: and that's where the champagne and the uh, oysters. <laughs> Not yet. And you're going, I'm only 16 or 15. You know, I can't have the champagne yeah. and the oysters. Yeah, I
0: either. think they took me away after the, <laughs> the drinks started rolling out. But, no, it was definitely so from high school I was I was definitely in into it and actually straight out of high school was when I started meeting Internship at Audience Precision. So I did first go in as an intern. Um, and it was only supposed to be six months, maybe 12, because I was super determined that I wasn't going to work at the family business. And so seven, seven, seven years, years later, I'm eating my words. Um, but no, I mean I was at the time we were a startup and I was the fifth employee. And I was coming in and we were, it was it a really cool setup because our foundation client, wanted Music Australia, we were in the corner of their office. So we were in a record label. So I'm coming in as this, what, 18, 19-year-old, stoked. This is the coolest thing ever. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going, this record. will be fun. Yeah, yeah. Fun. and I started, actually started my first, week of internship and full-time uni degree the same week because Gahata got home apparently and I yeah I loved every second of it so I was in there I was hanging out with the client straight away and also some artists which was really cool and I just loved it from the get-go so whilst there was five employees in you know, the beginning of our team we were in a you know, a much bigger, very cool place. So it's safe to say I was begging to stay after my 12 (laughs) months and the internship finished, but I then became a media executive. So, and then I continued to work full-time and study full-time for my whole degree. So it was definitely difficult. I don't know if I could do it now, but young me nailed it. Um, And doing it simultaneously definitely was challenging but it's one of the things that's just kind of pushed me forward and that you know three years um was was really really valuable and i could tailor my degree to what i was learning in real life apply it in real life did a few subjects that credited things and it was yeah it was great
1: so and and this could be quite controversial but when you're working full time yeah and you're studying yeah there's often a criticism made that the universities are not necessarily teaching the skills and knowledge that's actually needed to work in the industry. Is the role, and it goes to the heart of the question, is the role of tertiary education to make you job ready Mm. or is it there to teach you the sort of underlying fundamentals that you would then need to build on mm. to apply into the workplace. Do you have an opinion on
0: that? Yeah, I do remember there being a few textbooks and things that I was reading and going, really? Like this, this, this is what I'm learning right now and I would you know, bring it to bring it to work and be like this is what they're teaching me, everyone. And I'm like, wow, that's so, like that's kind of like a, a year or two old and especially in our industry because we move very quickly. So I don't even know what they would be teaching now and then how that, quickly that gets outdated but i think yeah there's a lot of foundations and marketing principles especially you know a marketing degree that can sometimes go forgotten in our industry and it's really important that they continue to be taught and that that's what's being brought through because that means that the talent coming through will be able to you know remind people in the industry that have maybe been out of out of studying for a while that these are the core principles that everything we do is is structured on and i know that um, for within our company, we've kind of always had those core principles through, but bringing in my textbooks and having that kind of thing also aided that. We were able to go, okay, yeah, that's actually the theory of it and look how we've applied it here. So it was definitely um, a beneficial thing, I think, to do it simultaneously to also know kind of what to be able to ignore um, of what isn't really relevant in this specific path that I was taking, like agency, Um, maybe in a brand would have been that different things I would have taken. Um, But no, it it was definitely really good. I think the universities have done really well also to encourage internships through studying. Um, So there's a few like subjects and things where you can get credit for your degree for doing an internship. And I was able to credit um some some subjects and and for my work here and I did well because you're
1: doing the hand yes. work you know yes. which is the best way of learning absolutely is actually doing the work
0: yeah you have to do a few assignments and a few things and specifically which I think was a massive benefit at the time I was going oh, I just want to do it in media but you had to do it in a in a uh, division outside of your job so I did two and I did one in the research department and the data department mm-hmm. over different semesters and. That now is so valuable to me because I know what that team are doing, at least at a, at a deeper level than what I would if I was just in my media lane um, forever. So, yeah, I think it was definitely really beneficial to do it together, but also challenging. And I was quite sleep deprived mm-hmm. during that time, but loved it.
1: <laughs> well, I can tell the energy is still there. So yes, that's good. If you came back, <laughs> Trinity P3. It's interesting from my perspective because, you know, Mark Ritson yes. set up the mini-MBA course in brand and marketing yeah. because his feeling, and, and it's played out in the success of that business, is that a lot of people end up in working in marketing, media and advertising mm. that have never been given those foundation principles Yeah, because the truth of the matter is a lot of the, those have actually not changed but the application of them Yes to your point, changes rapidly, mm. you know, and particularly because of technology. Mm-hmm. It's changing consumer behaviour as far as the way they consume mm. uh, information, but it's also then changing how marketers mm-hmm. apply those strategies to actually implement them into, you know, campaigns and activities. Absolutely,
0: Yeah, no, I love that angle that he takes and that approach because it is needed and not everyone comes in with a marketing degree and not everyone comes in with a degree at all and that's completely fine as long as the foundations don't disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: Which is what we've seen in the past with people coming in and going, you know, oh, all of that's wrong and you go off in this direction because this works and it's like how can you just dismiss Mm. years and years of fundamental knowledge Mm. that still works?
0: And to get long-term Success. I think you can get some short-term success. Sure, you can you can do a few things and get some wins. But to, especially if we're talking brand building now, like you, to get a brand longevity and strength, you really need to be using the fundamentals and, and building it properly.
1: Now, going back to the, the dinner table, at home. <laughs> yeah. What what was some of the conversation? I imagine it was. was a, it wouldn't be all work.
0: No, definitely not. And I think uh, we have really set up a bit of a boundaries, um, I guess, arrangement. And, you know, my mum has studied in counselling and strengths coaching. And so she knew from the get-go they'd worked together in the past. So Mm -hmm. she knew from the get-go, okay, if you are going to work together, we've got to set some some boundaries. And then they're around our names specifically. So it's quite an interesting one. So, Essentially, I will call my mum, mum in a personal setting, my dad, dad in a personal setting. But their first names, Hayden and Kerry, is their work names. And if I am speaking to anyone, whether it be other family members, friends, them, each other, about work, they are Hayden and Kerry. Um, And I'm... So good at it now that it actually genuinely feels like different people. Like, if I am going, you know, over to my parents' house for dinner and something urgent for work comes up, I'll be like, H, hey, we need a quick, I have a chat out here. And he goes, Oh, yeah, and we're in work. But we don't do dinner table chats, no way. Um, because it just gets too, very wide. Yeah, it gets too I, murky yeah. otherwise. and But also
1: creates very clear. Demarcation yeah. between in the conversation. You yes, know, I'm having a work conversation. Now I'm having a personal, personal conversation.
0: And to the point where I will be having a conversation with my brother, who is not in the industry, but you know, chats to me about work, goes how's it going, things like that. And I could say, oh yeah, that's something I spoke to Hayden about in one sentence, and then straight away after say, oh, what are we going to get Dad for Father's Day? Yeah, yeah. And he knows as well. So our whole family is really on board. But I wasn't always as good at it as I am now and I did for I think maybe like two years only call my dad Hayden And I think I broke his heart a little bit for a while there because I would say, happy birthday, Hayden. Um, I literally think I wrote that on a birthday card one year, which is so sad. (laughs) Um, But I just didn't want to be that person who was like, dad, in the workplace. So I was just like, I'm going to eliminate all options and I'm just only calling him Hayden or Hayden, she's any name. So, yeah, um, but I'm good at it now. Now,
1: look, what about the, because I've read a lot, not just about advertising, but business generally, Mm. the idea of the family business. Yeah, that often there's a lot of, you know, challenges around other people in the business going, oh, well, you know, nepotism, Mm. but then the stories that come out is that from the other side you have to work twice as hard as anyone else to prove yourself. Is that an experience that you've had or has it been a little easier with that
0: yeah, I think I have a really supportive team, and everyone in our company. Like we're a smaller company, so um, that is pros and cons. But it means that you can't really get away with not being good at your job um, because it's very obvious. So I think rising through it was definitely difficult. I think it's more on a personal level for me. I feel like I need to prove myself and go above and beyond, um, and it's a bit of like imposter syndrome almost to go mm-hmm. need to make sure like, things I earn, I can sometimes not appreciate my success. You all suffer that, you know? Yes. Everyone suffers that. <laughs> Absolutely, but, you know, it can sometimes change the way that I view my success because mm-hmm. I go, oh, well, maybe that's because of this or this, but my team um, and everyone in, you know, in our company is, is very supportive and we all work really well together. So, you know, I've never at least to my face, um, had nepotism thrown at me. But it is is—it's something I'm very conscious of for sure um, because I never want anyone to feel like that they're... are
1: riding on coattails. Yes,
0: and I think the name kind of thing is definitely part of that and I, I've i even had a um, team that worked for me that it took them like a couple of weeks to even figure out that we were related. Yeah. And a lot of people have thought that he was my uncle for a while because... We just don't, we're not like affectionate at all. Like you wouldn't know yeah, that we're professional Very business professional. Business professional. Yeah. Very, very, very much so. Um, yeah. I think it's just more the genetics and the way that we look the same <laughs> that gives it away sometimes. Um, but, no, it's, it's definitely a, a very clear boundary for everyone.
1: I remember a conversation with uh, a, an older colleague who had a child working in the industry, not in the same business, mm. but they said it was quite a shock for them when they were referred to as the father of that person (laughs) rather than, oh, you're, you know...
0: I love that. I think um, I'm excited for that said, day. He, well,
1: he, he said, I finally realised that my child had made <laughs> had in made the industry it. Yeah. As, as establishing their own credentials yeah. because I was no longer relevant. Yeah, That, know, is, that like, is
0: great. I have had a few media events where, you know, I'll go, hey, come to this one with me, you know, and he'll come and he'll go, I actually don't know anyone here. And it's the complete flip where... I was completely knowing no one and he was taking me to events and introducing me to all his contacts and there are a lot of people now that it's like, oh, I'm introducing him and, and he goes, oh, oh, my, my gang aren't here. Like everyone else is, <laughs> there, they're not at this. So, um, yeah, it's definitely over the years progressed with that. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's a fun part of it as well.
1: Trinity P3. Now the other thing I imagine is going for the transition you've had been, yeah. talking about media and advertising at home, uh working as an intern, studying, and yeah. now your role as head of media yeah. here at audience precision. You would have seen it's many of the issues that the industry is dealing with, mm-hmm. you know, and and there's lots of them. You know, we can't, I, I think it's crazy to, to sort of close your eyes and pretend they don't exist. But, you know, there's still issues around transparency. There's yeah. still issues with attracting uh, and, and maintaining talent. There's still issues with, you know, um, uh, you know, a cost issue, you know, does the industry make enough money Mm. to actually just, you know, to sustain it? Mm. From your perspective, what do you see are the big challenges that are currently sitting on the table?
0: Mm. I do think the consistency around audiences and you know, clean rooms and data and what people are sharing and how they're able to activate is something that is going to become a little bit murkier as everything starts to become more digital. Like I know in the markets in the US you can be buying TV like programmatically and, you know, we're on a steep trajectory of a lot more data and the industry becoming really, really um, accessible and digital. And I think the the protocols around that and the way that the data is kept kind of secure Mm -hmm. is something that, Whilst it might not be too much of a problem right now, is going to be something that we really need to be. Our
1: privacy is a big issue.
0: Managing, well. yeah, yeah, and we've obviously there's been a few scares and things like that, and companies getting slapped on the wrist and things like that, um, or fines, big ones, <laughs> either yeah. one. Um, but I think that that is is one of the biggest biggest challenges that is a new one because. One of the, you know, I guess benefits of having parents who are in the industry is they've seen a lot before. And so when things are like, oh, this is happening, they're like, oh yeah, that's something like that happened. And it's kind of like a repeat of history. And so mm-hmm. some things are repetitive problems that never really go away and they just resurface with a new, new title. But that specifically is one that I think is is a problem or a, a watch out area as the industry evolves into that whole that whole realm.
1: Yeah, you know, I always felt that. As an industry, we miss the opportunity of explaining or selling to consumers the benefit of allowing advertisers to know who they are and what they're interested Mm -hmm. in. Because, you know, you think about it, ultimately... A marketer doesn't want to waste money talking to someone that's not interested,
0: mm. and at all. a consumer doesn't want advertising that's irrelevant to them, and they have of proven course. that. Um, and I think but they've they're done ad studies. Blocking,
1: you know, yeah, like they their only choice is to block everything. Yes, when yes. in actual fact they may want mm. or be interested, and they may want to in a point in time no more, and then be able to opt out and then opt back in. Yes. And, you know, it's about giving them more control.
0: Absolutely. And I think the fear of, oh, someone's going to take my data is something, yet yeah, that the industry has done wrong. Like if we'd educated the consumers to go, this is actually the power you have essentially. Instead of having to pay for things like this, you'll pay with your data, like that kind of power, which some people are aware of but some aren't. Like if it's free, you're paying with your data. That's, yeah. that's the truth of it. So I think... Actually, that education of this is how the data is used, here's a kind of, you know, the walls of what we can and can't do with it, things like that, so that people actually understand um, and then they're not so scared of it because the fear is the thing that makes people block everything and just go, no, or the annoyance, either one.
1: <laughs> well, and there's a lot of fear in the marketplace. Yeah,
0: massive. Um,
1: and a lot of that's driven by the amount of scams and spam.
0: Yeah, or well, the texts alone that you're yeah. getting on your phones from... Your f- number being leaked in some way—it's it, definitely scary. And you know, it, there's different generations have different level of understanding of what that means and what the data means and things like that. But the the scammers are getting very smart, and so it's it's a scary kind of world out there in terms of yeah, data.
1: So this whole idea of opting in. Mm. Uh, as a replacement for, you know, what is it? Finally the cookie's crumbling. Yeah,
0: the cookie's crumbling. But now they're
1: saying the tags are going to be worse than the cookies. Yeah,
0: I just, yeah, there's constantly issues, I think, with having, relying on too much of the actual data like that which is why again we bring it back to the consumer research and going okay what kind of content online for example are they interested in because whether or not they've clicked on a sport page or not if we know that they're into sport then then you can go there regardless and so yeah things like that but I know there's a lot of creepy ad formats coming out you can say hi Jess like here's the (laughs) local store that your products available at and it's kind of like if you don't know that people have your data that is going to freak you out so so, for me, I'd be like, great campaign, who did this, <laughs> like, look into mm. it. But for, you know, a lot of my friends even, I'm like, that's too much. Like, what is going on here? How do they know where I am and my name? And oh, uh, too uh, much.
1: I was shown, a, a demonstrated a out of home mm. in shopping malls where they had facial recognition.
0: Oh, I've seen that. And
1: they would track you <laughs> so, as you were so walking through and serving you up. It was like something out of that uh, minority report oh, God. with... Um, <laughs> Uh, Tom Cruise, yeah, know, yeah. where it's like they're just tracking you uh, through the shopping mall. It's like, I'm sorry. It's like an upset black mirror.
0: <laughs> it <laughs> it's is. too much. Yeah, it is a bit. I think there's that fine line that we dance um, with how personalized it, too personalized and all that kind of stuff. So it's the, the watch out for so much data and capability of targeting that uh, the industry as a whole needs to be aware of with some guidelines and parameters because. It, one few mistakes will you know tarnish a lot. Okay, so Jess, here's a
1: here's a big question for you. <laughs> yeah, you know, whose responsibility is that?
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: because we've got industry bodies. Yeah. You know, we've got the IAB. We've got the, in Australia the AANA. We've mm. got uh, you know the the uh, media rate, MFA IMAA. Uh, we've got
0: consumer yeah
1: yeah a triple C that's the one um, you know, whose role is it to actually set these parameters mm. who who should be setting the standards because just allowing individual advertisers to set the standard is not going to work because they can't you know they'll never agree mm. and each one will have different requirements and absolutely. So you know, and I know as an industry, we don't like government intervention. Mm. We much prefer to be self-regulated.
0: Yes, absolutely. That is a that is a big question. I do think that. Whilst there is a part to play for everyone, an individual, like you need to be taking responsibility uh, for your clients and your campaigns and clients need to be taking responsibility as well of their campaigns, Um, I do think it it hopefully will stop at industry body level and be able to be something that we can work out within our industry, as you say, and not have to involve a government regulation. But I dare say that if we can't, then the only way to actually protect consumers and protect uh, the future of the industry will be legal intervention um, to those that don't comply um, and doesn't doesn't follow so it doesn't ruin it for the rest of us basically because as
1: we've seen in the EU you know when they um, yeah. introduced the privacy laws there mm. uh, they will naturally overstep yes as a way of protecting the individuals. Yes to the point that it becomes very difficult for the business to be able to, you know, maintain Mm. profitability and
0: growth. Absolutely. And I think if us as an industry in Australia can put a bit of a line in the sand and do it ourselves, then that will save a lot of of pain and heartache for everyone. But if certain people and certain, you know, brands and agencies and things don't comply, then it, it will potentially ruin it for everyone and we will see a similar trend to what's happened overseas, unfortunately, but mm. well, we'll have to wait and see on that one.
1: <laughs> well, I have to say with uh, someone as, uh, as bright as an, and intelligent and, <laughs> and enthusiastic as you, it's certainly uh, looking very good.
0: Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> We've run
1: out of time, unfortunately, okay. but uh, it's been a great conversation, thank you.
0: Thank you, it's been great to be on.
1: So just before we finish, I have a question for you. If you didn't go into advertising, What sort of law do you think you'd want to practice?